Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the RPG Companion Podcast. My name is Zuby, and if you're brand new to the show, the show is all about RPGs, tabletop RPGs, Dungeons and Dragons, and whatever else I may decide to talk about. So today, we have a very special guest on today. We have on none other than Ruben Ressler, who is the DM for the Broken Pact RPG, which is on the official Twitch TV D&D channel and also on the official YouTube D&D channel and we I brought him on to talk about DMing uh, what it's like to you know DM privately versus being on a stream and also just talk advice that we you know have for newer DMs out there and what it's like to DM under certain situations as well um, so before we get into the interview uh, this show is brought to you by legitmtg.com legitmtg.com is the place to buy and sell your magic singles and sealed product um, you can any order over two dollars or more gives you free shipping at legitmtg.com be sure to check it out if you are a magic the gathering player thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast so without further ado here is Ruben Bressler. All right, yeah, yeah, we're recording it right now. So Zuby here, and I have brought on again uh, Mr. Ruben Bressler. Uh, this is my RPG Companion podcast, so this is the first time you're showing up on this show. But if right. you saw him on Magic with Zuby, we did talk a little bit about D&D, and I, we sort of teased it. That was a couple months ago, actually, now. Yeah, it a little fe- while ago at this point. Feels like yesterday, actually. It's The, the way time is flying by, man, it's insane. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what have you been up to before we dive into D&D here? Uh, I've been up to a lot. Uh, the freelance lifestyle never ends. Um, it's uh, quite busy, but um, I have you know, still been doing Magic Mics uh, for about four years, which is the, the weekly Magic the Gathering show that I do with Evan Irwin and Aaron Campbell. Um, and we're about halfway at this point. We're over halfway through season three of The Broken Pact. Which is my uh, the D and D show that I am the dungeon master of uh, over on the official D and D Twitch channel. Um, so that's been taking up a, a good amount of my my mental energy. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, so yeah. with season three of the Broken Pact, are you still? Unfortunately, I have not seen it. But um, sure. are you still doing Ravnica, or are you doing the Descent into Avernus? Right. So we're in Avernus. Um, or, or is that how you say Avernus? Eh, whatever. It's okay. local dialect. I, I've been calling it Avernus because that's just what I've been saying, but it could be Avernus. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. So, my players at the end of the second season had to escape from Ravnica. They got uh, out right just in time as the invasion of Ravnica was happening and were essentially shunted off of the plane um, through the magic of the world pact, which is the magic that they possess together, into Innistrad, where I sent them on a one-shot, essentially, for the uh, the live event, the D&D live event. And from Innistrad, they were sort of helped slash tricked into getting sent to Avernus, where they are now. Um, and they are sort of trying to figure out how to get back uh, to Ravnica, how to transport uh, themselves, you know, how does their magic, their plane travel work, and can they use it to get home, essentially. Oh, and so really cool. it's been really fun, yeah, because Ravnica is all of their homes. 
and uh, Avernus has been much different. The first two seasons were kind of a bit of a noir mystery. Season one was like a was like a murder mystery, mm-hmm. uh, a lot more like Carnival Row, for example. Um, season two was a little bit more of a hunt. Uh, a little bit more of a detente between who the big bad was. Um, season three, they are strangers in a strange land, and they are uh, out of their elements and out of their depth in a lot of ways. Um, they've come close to TPKing uh, this season, which was <laughs> oh, not man. was not by design, but yeah, um, yeah but it's uh, they, they they've tested themselves, and uh, and I've tested them as well. It's been a ton of fun. Oh, that's awesome. So I, I definitely want to dive deeper into your show here. But before we get into that, uh, let's talk a little bit about your history and experience with RPGs. Um, sure. When did you start playing RPG, tabletop RPGs? So I got very lucky. My parents were the same Dungeons & Dragons group before they started dating. Oh, um, wow. And so they had, awesome. a, and they had a, a D&D group that used to meet monthly or so with friends. Uh, that I can still remember uh, when I was, I don't know, five or six. Um, it's probably when it's, I'm, I moved to moved away from Washington, D.C. to Ohio when I was eight. And so that might have been the last time that that group happened. But basically, the I would get put to bed at, you know, 8 p.m. or whatever. Uh, my folks would start playing with their friends. And then by nine, I'd sneak down and be listening over the railing listening to them tell stories, and then by the time it got to dice rolling, I got bored and went back to bed. Um, and I would get caught every once in a while, of course. Or or they would bring me in, you know, I'd play the tavern keeper's son or, you know, the shopkeep's assistant or whatever for five minutes uh, just, to, just to bring me in. And that always fascinated me. Um, that was my first experience with role-playing games. I didn't get back into RPGs until college. Um, I didn't get back into Dungeons and Dragons um, and things like Starfinder, um, Pathfinder. Um, I think that those were those were the big ones uh, at the time until until I was you know 19 or 20. And it's always sort of been on the periphery. When I moved to Las Vegas, um, I wanted to get more I wanted to do more D&D stuff and I started pursuing it more and some of my poker playing friends were like hey we want to play D&D too can we start a group and so I essentially was the dungeon master for a bunch of the poker playing folks uh, in Vegas Um, and at that point I decided I wanted to combine my love of performance and streaming with my love of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering and that's sort of how this show came about is I started building a show um, the initial incarnation of the Broken Pact is I was just planning on making a Skype show with a bunch of people like Magic the Gathering celebrities. Yeah. Um, but by the time the fourth or fifth Magic person was like, hey, I'm too busy making Magic content to be able to commit to this. I was like, all right, that's enough of this. But by that point, I'd already established a relationship with a studio here in Los Angeles called Saving Throw Show. Um and we decided that we would pursue making a show in studio and that I was going to move to L.A. anyway. I'm pursuing a career in voice acting and a bunch of other stuff. So that is how that genesis happened. So I have an established relationship with Saving Throw Show. Cut forward a little bit 
to uh, I um, Greg Tito, who is the content manager for Dungeons and Dragons or the marketing manager for Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, was be, was asked uh, on Twitter, "Hey, who should we interview for the next up- upcoming season of Dragon Talk?" And my name came up a couple times, and we started chatting. And I told him my ideas and, you know, why I was, you know, I got introduced because I was like this interesting outlier in Las Vegas and had a bunch of magic experience. And so I go to Grand Prix Seattle last March, um, not this past March, the previous March. So 2018. Which was 2018, which was eight months before Ravnica came out Mm -hmm. and two or three months before it was announced. Um, and so he's like, hey, come up to the, when I'm up there, I was gonna do the interview in person in the studio. He's like, hey, come up a couple hours early, we'll have a meeting. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll meet some folks. And so I walk <laughs> into this meeting room and it's Greg and like uh, like Bart, I think Bart was there, uh, Bart Carroll. Yeah. Um, I think, who else was there? Nate Price was in the room. There was like five, five or six people who were in the room. And I was like, what is happening? And Greg is like, tell them your idea. And I was like, all right, I wanna make a Magic the Gathering D- D&D show. And they're like, cool, 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 cool. We're releasing the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. We, we have, we're announcing it soonish. How would you like to do the show in the fall? We'll pay you to do it and we'll give you the book two months early. <laughs> I was like, this is the yeah, best meeting awesome. I've ever been in. So, uh, and we've been making the show ever since. It's, at this point, we're in our third season, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Dude, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Um, Before you started doing the show, how many years of DMing were on your belt before doing this? I've been DMing for a decade previous to this. I mean, it's what, it's the, it's the position I'm most comfortable in. Yeah. As the, as the driver, um, as the storyteller. I don't know, just always, felt more comfortable running the board, you know, being the mechanics person. Yeah, how would you describe your sort of DMing style if you had to Hmm. describe it to someone? I am, uh, I'm, so I like to describe DMs in one of three categories and they line up with the three mental stats of Dungeons and Dragons. You have your, you have your charisma DMs, your Matt Mercers, right? Uh, you have your wisdom DMs, which are more like your Matt Colvilles, and you have your intelligence DMs, which are more like your Adam Cobles. Um, and then everyone is a mixture of the three. Um, but uh, I tend to think of myself more as a intelligence uh, DM with a good amount of the charisma, obviously. But, you know, I think that that's everybody who performs for, uh, for the internet. Um, I I don't have enough experience or gravitas or um, wherewithal with other systems to to be the wisdom guy. I don't yeah. think, and I don't think I'm talented enough to be the charisma guy. So intelligence is where I'm at. I also have the book in my head, and I'm I'm pretty good with the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I would say I'm pretty much more similar to a um, like a more bur- boring Chris Perkins. <laughs> um, style of DM, yeah. I would say, um, hmm, who else is out there that that might be? I'm, I am, uh, yeah. I'm more, I'm more staid. I would say. Okay, okay. And um, how would you sort of 
I, I guess, what are you more comfortable with? Like before the show, were you more comfortable doing, you know, DMing with content that was already out there, like modules, or were you more comfortable doing homebrew? I was much more comfortable with modules. And why do you feel that is? So I don't, it's weird because most folks who are in this sphere are huge homebrewers. Um, I like taking existing things and putting my own spin on them. Um, every homebrew I, uh, or sorry, every module I take has an element of homebrew to it. Mm-hmm. When I ran out of the abyss and the first chapter is Escape from Velkenvelve, which is this underground prison, I basically was like, this setup is fine, but I kind of want there to be like this weird political dynamic happening. And I introduced that into, into the system. When I started the Broken Pact, I started them out with Krenko's Way, which is yeah. the introductory campaign. But I put my own twist in it and changed some things and pulled some things out of it. Uh, totally changed it up. I love doing that kind of stuff, Adventures League kind of things. It's a it's a ton of fun for me to do. And so I like taking, I like doing covers, if that makes sense. I like doing cover songs of people's already written content. <laughs> okay. So th- that's sort of interesting you put it that way, putting your own twist, because I've only done a few modules myself, but I've primarily DM'd homebrew and I've been DMing mm-hmm. just like you probably for over a decade now and it's homebrew I feel more free where yeah. and I, I I collect as many modules as I can because I use those as inspiration where there could be a sentence out of an entire module that sure that inspires me to create like you know a 50 page campaign or something like that so how would you how would you sort of I guess champion a module where someone who's trying to first time DM, you know, really wants to homebrew, but is, but feels almost railroaded by reading a module because they, cause sure. My feeling with it is I feel like I'm obligated to play it this way as a DM. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I, I see it more like it's a recipe. Um, do you cook it all? Yeah. Do you cook? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not like baking. Right, baking is a science. If you skimp on the flour, you're going to end up with a flat cake. Yeah. So you can't you can't screw with baking. Just like there are some things you can't screw with. You can't screw with the science. You can't screw with the numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't just say I have a plus twenty. Right. Or uh, whatever. But you can futz with the ingredients when you're cooking. Right. You can add a little more salt. You can cut some of the egg. You can you can you know add more shrimp. Whatever it is and make it your own. And you can be inspired by other recipes that you know are tried and true. Like you're not gonna mess with your mom's gravy, right? But you can add it to new and different things. You've got this great combat that you've run a dozen times and it's fun every time, but you can put it in a different context. And so that's what I like to do. I like to take tried and true recipes that have been that have come out of Wizards of the Coast in Renton, Washington, mm-hmm. or whatever third party uh, 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 company has made these and has put a ton of playtest work into. I know that these recipes work, but I can still take that recipe and be like, that doesn't sound like enough garlic. I'm gonna add a few more cobalts, right? I'm gonna make 
instead of doing it this way, I'm going to make it so that gravity is is different or magic happens slightly different or this is going to occur in this place instead of here. And you can sort of shift and change and move things around like that. I really like doing that. And so when it comes to adventure books, things like Descent into Avernus, Out of the Abyss, um, Storm King's Thunder, Rise of Tiamat, those adventures are fun for me still, even though I'm not sticking exactly to the script. Whereas I personally find books like Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, slightly more difficult because it's forcing people to do what I do already, right? And mm -hmm. so it's, um, I find those to be a slightly more difficult. That's a that's a nice way to put it. I never really thought of it like a recipe. Um, but how do you still? I, I get. Let's take Lost Minds of Fandelver for instance, right? Mm -hmm. That that's the one campaign that a lot of people have DM'd and a lot of people yeah. have played. So, you know, obviously the first, I mean, spoilers, I guess, the first chapter, you know, you get waylaid by goblins, then you got to go to the cave and rescue yep. um Sildar, right? Yep. Out of it, you know, how do you how do you take a module and not make it feel railroady? Because that's one of the big complaints that a lot of players, a lot sure. of players get like, oh, I don't want to feel railroaded into adventure. I want to make it feel like I've got this freedom of choice. Right. Yeah. So what I tend to do is I read the adventure and I read the adventure and I read the adventure until I know it, not memorized, but I know it. Like yeah. I've seen princess bride enough times to know when the fight with Andre the Giant's coming up, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I've seen Princess Bride enough times to know that she doesn't die at this point. Um, so I've read Lost Minds enough times to know where the major story beats are, but I also know how to tweak them. So, you know, there's a climactic scene in Lost Minds where theoretically, if all goes according to plan, and I say it that way because I've turned it on its head, you get the brother back. Mm -hmm. sometimes the players just don't get the brother back and that changes the whole thing or they accidentally uh tip off uh the you know they they aren't stealthy enough and the bad guys know they're coming yep. or you know maybe they'll stumble stumble upon a different part of the adventure first um i tend to run my campaigns very similar to how tomb of annihilation is set up where it's like, all right, these things exist in the world. When you run into them, you run into them, right? Um, I hope you, and if you run into something that's too big, I will futz with it and change it a little bit. Um, but, or I'll try to scare you away from it. That's another big factor in, in, uh, in being a DM is trying to instill fear in your players who feel like gods even at level five. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't want to kill your players, but you also want to let them know that the world can kill them without actually killing them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm – you're right. It is tough to be uh, footloose and fancy free as uh, a dungeon master, particularly with a homebrew campaign, particularly when it's like, this is my story, right? This is, I wanna tell my story. Y'all are here as players, but I wanna tell my story. That is a huge issue that I've even had. Mm -hmm. um, and another reason why I tend to stay away from um, my own homebrew style campaigns, even though the Broken Pack, the first, two, the first two seasons were like a whole homebrew campaign. Um, 
I, it, you have to experience ego death in order to let go of your vision of what the story will be and let the players tell the story in your world. Yeah. It's very difficult uh, to do. It's very difficult to let go of that level of control. And I've only recently gotten there with the Broken Pact. I mean, maybe even this season is is how is I've I've been like, all right, I'm I I'm letting go entirely. It's no longer I no longer have a plan. Is how how that works. And there are DMs out there that go in with no plan whatsoever. They just put the pieces on the board and say go, um, which staggers me. Uh, <laughs> That, it's, it's crazy. That that's how I DM a lot of times. So basically, when I say I homebrew, um, it's I I always have a general story in mind, right? But mm -hmm. if my players are not interested in it and don't want to do it, okay, cool. So I always I try to build the world first more than anything than actually try to build a story. There's sure, of course, there's always these subplots and stories that are happening within cities and towns and on the paths and forests and you know under wherever they go. There's always going to be some sort of story, and if they decide not to follow it, okay, cool. Yeah. There's a million other things to do in this world. Um, right, and, and that's that's another big thing is is. You know, it's man, there's so many things to talk about in that, even just that little sentence, which is you want to build a whole world, but your players are only going to see 10% of it. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. And so that's another ego death is like, I want to show you this cool thing I built that no one is even going to come close to. But it's important to be there so that you can have these world making events happening. Then you can tell your players, look, the world is bigger than you are. Things are happening as a result of you not being there kind of deal. Oh, yeah. And I like sort of get, you know, when my players go to a city or a town or something and maybe I want to try to push them along towards something. I may have like, oh, there's a rumor going around that this city, this is happening this way. And, you know, even sure. if they never do it. OK, cool. You know, what? I'm going to go back to my little notebook and write about it anyway. And and, and I, that is one of the, the biggest things that you just mentioned is the ego death where that is something you got to get over as a DM quickly. DM, GM, whatever you want to call it. Get over the ego. It's I, I played with a lot of DMs where, like you said, they want to tell their story, right? They don't care about the player's enjoyment too much, and they 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 take a little bit too much glee in killing the players, and it's like, right? Okay, come on, that that's that's boring. I take no joy in killing my player. Oh, dude, I I take I feel bad. I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified, especially as a streamed. Like, I know yeah. where the bread is buttered on a stream DM'd show. Like, they aren't there. Like, my face isn't on the marquee. The player's character's faces are on the logo. Yeah. Right? So, like, if I kill one of those players, it I don't know what I would do. I've never killed a player character on screen. Um, I've put all of them to zero multiple times. It's very yeah. tough to actually kill somebody in Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Um, as a dungeon master, but it's uh, boy, I don't know what I would do. Yeah, it, it's definitely you know. Speaking of the stream, that brings a good segue here. So we've sort of talked a little bit about you know what it's like running a game. You know, not not on a stream. You know, what are mm -hmm. some of the since you're doing this live now, yeah. you're, you're streaming it. What are some of the biggest differences that you've noticed between doing it privately, you know, in a home or an LGS, and now you're doing it live in front of people and having to sort of put, you're having to put on a show essentially. Now. Right. Um, for me personally, I'll be honest, it's way better. 
Um, I know that that's, it's not the same for everybody because a lot of people have stage fright and the unblinking eye of the internet is terrifying. But for me personally, (laughs) I don't really experience stage fright like most people do. And so for me, uh, having a set schedule and being paid to do it means that I get to play Dungeons and Dragons with my friends every week for 10 weeks, two times a year. Um, you know, they're forced to show up and everybody knows that the biggest enemy of any Dungeons and Dragons campaign is scheduling. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we have a studio with beautiful lighting, comfortable chairs and and official backing and sponsorship is huge. I also personally, um, you know, when you're playing in an LGS, especially it's something like an adventurers league or with some strangers, people look at their phone a lot People are distracted. People are making a bunch of noise. People are doing, you know, whatever it is that they're going to do. And when you're on camera, you can't. You can't screw around when you're in front of, you know, a couple hundred, several hundred people. And so I personally like it better uh, to be on camera dungeon mastering or playing than not. It, it almost sounds like you have to be definitely on your game a lot more because sure. there's definitely been some days I DM and I forget the simplest of rules sometimes. And, mm-hmm. you know, you forget like, oh, what does magic missile do again? I don't even remember, you know, you know, stuff like that. And how do you how do you combat that sort of thing when you're on camera where obviously you want to put on a good performance, but you don't want to sort of make yourself, I, I guess, forget simple stuff like that or also try to make the boring minutia. Sure. Interesting, because as we all know, there's games where, oh, you have to spend five, ten minutes looking up a rule because one player wants to do something crazy. Mm-hmm. And you're like, OK, how would that work? Right now, to, personally, for the, the, the best news is as follows. I used to do so- I used to be a soccer referee. There's a rule in soccer. It's called Law Five. It essentially says whatever the referee says is the law. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whatever the dungeon master says that's how it works. If I say you take no damage, you take no damage, right? Like there's mm-hmm. no, we can discuss it after the game, but in the moment, that's how the ruling occurred. We've definitely had those in the past where it was like, oh, I forgot to use my multi-attack or I for as a monster yeah. or my player forgot to uh, add a certain bonus to their save or I rolled the wrong dice. But if we realize it in the moment, we can fix it. But if we realize it 30 seconds later, we can just say, oh, this is why this occurred. And if we realize it a day later, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Um, and D&D has a very similar rule in its front, like two pages of the book, which is the rules in this book are all guidelines. These are mm-hmm. all suggestions. You should be, uh, you should feel free to change everything. And you should change everything. You shouldn't just use standard text blocks all the time you shouldn't read straight from the page all the time um and nobody wants to do that anyway everyone wants to tell their own story so um that that is how i handle it now i don't have an audience that is big enough uh to have the problem that a lot of the bigger shows have which is as soon as something is wrong the entire chat's filled with this was incorrect you're stupid and we hate um I don't have that, luckily, Um, uh, and not for nothing, I'm a white dude also, so like I don't get that level of hate. Um, But there's, uh, yeah, I think that there is a certain point when everybody gets that. Yeah. 
But the thing is, it's storytelling. We're telling stories with friends around the campfire. So there's no wrong way to tell your story. Your fun, as the saying goes, isn't wrong if you're telling it in the way that you want to tell it. Okay, I, I like that. It, it's um, it's a good way to put it, and and you, I guess you sort of need to have that mindset when you're streaming. Just you know, get past the essentially get past the minutia of the right and wrong, and just making an entertaining yeah. show. So right. that's also a big reason why I like having my note cards in front of me. Like flipping to the page in the book is helpful, mm-hmm. but I can only have so many books open at a time, right? Um, and so I have physical note cards or, or uh, stat trackers with cliff notes, essentially, in front yeah. of me of like, this is what this monster does, this is what this monster does, and I don't have to flip pages. Um, the less I have to think about, the better I'm going to be with the details. Okay, that's a good way to put it. A- another question I have um, is when you're developing these campaigns for the show, how how much effort... or, or how much um, detail is actually put in in terms of knowing where the story is going to go? Do you have a general idea of where it's going to go? Or do you actually so, have it sort of plotted out in a sense? So the three seasons were very different in that way. Yeah. Season one was quite on the rails um, from a storytelling perspective. Uh, and I, I kind of needed it to be. I needed to establish that these players knew each other or that these characters knew each other and what the story was. And also being a function of being a noir kind of murder mystery, I needed all of these narrative beats to happen. And so season one was very, like, you hit this checkpoint, you hit this checkpoint, you hit this checkpoint, you hit this checkpoint. Um, I would say 70 to 80% on the rails, which is fine. But, you know, it, it needed to evolve. Yeah. Season two, I would say, was about 50-50. There, in the first episode of season two, I said to my players, uh, I basically presented my players with like, look, you have five missions that you need to go on by the end of the se- season. Where do you want to go first? And then I snuck little secrets into all five missions. Um and so, you know, they got to choose the order, they got to decide what to ignore, and and like I said before, because they didn't do X, Y happened. You know, what, because they couldn't be in three places at once, yeah. other things were happening in the world. Um, and so that's how that went. For season three, which is what we're in right now, I knew what was going to happen at the beginning, and I know what is happening at the end. And everything in between, I'm just sort of letting happen. Um, it's it that's a little bit simplified because uh, I've I've sort of given my players hints to point towards where they need to go. Particularly because I'm I used a lot of the Descent into Avernus book for the first half of the season, um, but we're totally off book now. Uh, you know, I invented a location in Avernus that doesn't exist. Um, the rest of the season is going to be all uh, stuff that isn't canon in the book um, in terms of locations and events that happen. Uh, you know, it's sort of mixing my own recipe, essentially. So that's uh, it, it really depends on how you evolve and shift and change. And that's really come with me being able to trust my players more. Not that they not that I didn't trust them but that I didn't have the experience with them, right? The longer you're with a group of players, the more you know them, and the more willing you're allowing yourself to let yourself go. 
Okay, I, I, I like that. And when you're doing all this prep, um, you know, what are your notes like? Are you trying to detail them as much, or you just have sort of brief, like little little points? I have bullet. Like? I have bullet points. Bullet points. Yeah. So my process is, uh, I have I have three uh, three folks that I work with on on story. Um, I, I am not the end all be all. I, it does not all come out of my brain. I am the one that's able to synthesize most of it, and a lot of it comes out of my brain. But uh, I have uh, some other folks that I rely on. Uh, one of them is a gentleman named John Wells. Uh, he uh, is uh, Eyes on the Mize co-host, Magic the Gathering content creator. Nice. He helps a lot with character uh, archetypes. Um, he made several of the character sheets for guest characters in the past. Um, items and the nitty gritty of uh, uh, rules interactions and how they can help tell the story. For example, he's helped me with how how the broken pact works from a narrative and a mechanical standpoint. <laughs> like the magic of the central MacGuffin of the show, which oh, we haven't wow. gotten to yet in three seasons. Yeah. Um, I have another friend named Emmett Fury. Emmett wrote the Stream of Many Eyes storyline. Um, the Stone of Gol- Golor, Golondor, whatever. He works uh, on, he's, a, he's just a brilliant storyteller and problem solver. He's really good at um, plot. And so he was the one that he and I built the noir murder mystery and like the the copycat killer and the, the this person's missing and where you need to pick up these clues and stuff like that. And I talk with them between seasons mostly, those two guys. Uh, I'm really good in char- at character and in the moment stuff. Okay. Uh, Emmett's great with plot, but I needed help with like world stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was using A.E. Marling. Uh, he doesn't. I don't work with him anymore, but he really helped set the scene for Ravnica and helped build the world of Ravnica. He's way too busy now, and so I don't uh, really chat with him anymore. The other person I talk to on a weekly basis, I go over to Phil DeLuca's house. Phil is one of the Commanderin MTG hosts. Um, he is a brilliant storyteller. He is a former Disney Imagineer. Uh, and we, I go, I go over and have breakfast at his house every Saturday or Sunday, uh, and and he's like, "All right, what happened in the show last week?" And I tell him the story in ten minutes of what happened in the show last week, and then we write the next week's show, and it is a great process. Um, I have so much fun uh, with with all those guys, um, and then then the game happens, and I'm constantly communicating with my players about what they want out of the game. Um, not constantly. I would say between seasons, I'm like, tell me what you want out of the game. I'm not inundating them every week without getting yeah. information. Um, that's something I've gotten better about, by the way. I used to be <laughs> really bad about messaging my players individually and being like, hey, did everything, you know, what do we need to work on? What, what's, what do you want to? And it's like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. Just let it go. Um, and it's been great. Uh, I, I had a ton of anxiety before the first season. And I was super well prepared. I look back at my notes for the first season and I'm like, man, I, I had so many, so many notes. This season I had very little. I had almost nothing written down and I was calm. I was no, super good. calm, that's which good. is much better. It's a much better place to be in. So how do you handle um, combat in a stream compared to when you're doing it, you know, off camera? Like, is mm. there any differences? Because as we all know, combat can be... 
I wouldn't say boring, but sometimes combat can go for on a long time. And yeah. as a viewer, that may not be exciting for your players. It may be exciting, but not for your viewers, you know? Yeah. Combat is, is more boring than the storytelling. Um, like the role playing is why we're here, right? Yeah. Like the, the story is why we're here, but you can make combat interesting. You can make combat exciting. Um, the first thing that I do is I don't do random encounters. Like, just don't do them when you're streaming. When so, you're doing an enter, every combat needs to have a story purpose. So do you, do you consider that to be a thing for all streams? Like, if you're wanting to stream D&D, don't have random encounters? Have Correct. story I believe, purpose Well, encounters. if you're going to have a random encounter, have it have a purpose within the story. Not just for XP grinding. Not just for XP grinding. I use milestone grinding for the show. Okay. Because I just don't want to deal with XP grinding. Yeah, for um, a stream that doesn't make as much sense, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, I, I want my players to feel like they can avoid combat and still level up as well. Um, combat should have stakes that are not simply life and death. There are worse things than death in Dungeons & Dragons. Um, there are more difficult uh, circumstances than dying in Dungeons and Dragons. And there are interesting challenges that you can present your players with that aren't necessarily combat, but are combat encounters. Um, you know, things that stretch their brain muscles, uh, give them a chance to set up an ambush or to rescue someone from a tower or whatever. Um, there's been a ton of combat in this season. Mm -hmm. um, Ravnica was relatively combat light for the Broken Pact because they kept avoiding combat, which is great. I want my players to be able to have that sort of option. If they want to be able to talk them to talk their way out or sneak their way around combat, great. Um, Avernus is a much different animal than the civilized confines of the city of guilds. Mm -hmm. um, it's literally hell, and so it's a lot more difficult. Is that is that on your side? That yeah, that's on my side. That's, oh, okay. <laughs> that's a neighbor's garage. That's why I stopped talking. It's oh, that's awesome. We, uh... I know that's okay. All right, <laughs> all right, we're good. I think. No, you're fine. You're fine. No, wait, hold on, hold on. What? There'll be one more because they're going to close the garage in a second. Oh, so, okay. Second. Oh, no, that's all right. It happens. It happens. I had to mute my microphone earlier because I heard a helicopter overhead. For some, probably the police chasing someone, as usual. Yeah. There was a weird-shaped helicopter on my drive up. It was like it had like the cab in the front and then a line instead of a body in the middle. It was like I don't know even know how to explain it. It looked like this. Okay. Okay. I don't know exactly. There's the other. There's the other shoe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know exactly what it is, but it was weird looking. Oh, that is weird. I don't know. Fire helicopter. Oh, sure. That could have been it. Yeah. All right. I think we're good. All right. Yeah. No problem. Yep. Um, yeah. We were talking about combat and how you said Avernus or Avernus is really different. That you guys are in literal hell and yeah. avoiding combat seems to be harder. Well, it's tougher to talk your way out of situations, right? Yeah. Because they, everything will kill you and wants to kill you and everything wants your soul. 
Um, and the things that want your soul, you can talk your way out of that situation, but that conversation is kind of combat in and of itself and might be even more dangerous. Um, so uh, it's just a it's just a different world, you know. All every world you go to, every nation you go to, every city you go to, is different. Um, some cities are not designed to have fights in them. Um, maybe you go and you you're going to be challenged in a different way, um, and it really depends on your party too. But for for streamed combat. There are a couple ways I like to streamline streamed combat. The first is I just know a lot of stuff. Like, oh, it's a Warhammer. This it deals this much damage. Oh, it's magic missile. It deals this much damage. Oh, it's without sleep, having it, to roll for roll for without knowing which. So I know what the dice are. Okay, okay. So I can say, oh, it's sleep at first level. That's five d eight, right? Like I just there's some of those that I just have in my brain. Um, you know, magic missile is is you know one d four plus one for the missiles. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, you know, there's just generic like, oh, this is what fireball damage does. So having those shortcuts in my brain lets me shortcut when someone's like, I cast Cure Wounds at X level, and I'm like, cool, roll that, and then we can move on to the next person, and I can keep stuff uh, light and entertaining like that. You should also be tossing in uh, descriptors and encouraging your players to be describing how they're doing things. Um, you know, uh, I'm so that's like 35 to hit. Yeah, that hits. Roll for damage. All right, 18 damage. All right, cool. Well, what? That, like, where was the story? Right. Yeah. So you should encourage your barbarian at that point to be like, I slash it with my axe, and I you just give a cool catchphrase. Right. And that lets your other players catch up and see where they are in combat and do that kind of interaction. And you, as the dungeon master, should as well. Another thing that really helps is if there's a rules disagreement in combat, if you don't see it or if you don't know the rule and you can't find it within a minute, you move on. One minute. Um, and if you're streaming, your players should know when the dungeon master is silent that that's time for them to vamp. That's time for them to fill the air with role play. Right. And mm -hmm. or strategy or something else. And my players are spectacular. They see it immediately. As soon as I go into the tank looking up a rule, they're already on it, like filling the air, filling the airwaves. Um, so that's a very important thing as well. OK, no, that's that's really good to know. Yeah, I, I can see. It, it seems very different because it's like I said, I'm so used to DMing off air. Right, you know, sure. I, I do have the little Tin Street Hooligans D and D that we do once a month, and um, it, it's a lot of fun. It's different. It's right now. It's sort of like herding cats because all my players have never played D and D before, so I have to. That's, that's a problem. It, that, that one's a little bit tough, but no, they're they're starting to get it. They're learning it and all that, but they're loving the hell out of it. But I can tell for a streamed content, it's not going to be as exciting if as if it were offline. And all right. that, and just trying to get them to learn. It's, it is definitely a different animal. Yeah. For um, sure. Yeah, and I know now. I know I don't have to prepare much. Like I just, I just don't prepare much anymore because I don't have to. I know the story in my head. I have what you know what I worked on earlier in the week. Yeah. I know kind outline. of where I want to yeah. go. I have my sirenscape cues, right? I have my music cues of like, oh, they're going to be in combat against some bees. Time to cue up the bees combat music. Or they're going to be in a bank. Time to queue up the bank music. Yeah. Um, I write my intro, like, word for word, to recap what happened last week. And then I say, and that's where you're at now. What would you like to do? And then they go. Last week, I don't think I talked for half an hour. 
like there was an there, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, they started with a long rest and they had a lot to catch up on. I don't think I talked for 30 minutes after I le- left off the intro, which is great. I love that. And not every group is going to be like that. Yeah. Keep in mind that a streamed show is performers, right? These are people who are actors or, or um, uh, uh, podcasters, show hosts, that yeah. kind of people. And so the people at your local game store aren't necessarily performers. And so you're not going to get the same kind of uh, uh, performance out of non-performers. And that's the same as, as, as your Dungeon Master, too, right? Like, I'm not sure I could hack it as an Adventurer's League Dungeon Master. It's a totally different animal. It's a different oh, sport. Yeah. That's oh, like, yeah. That that's like asking, <laughs> it's like asking somebody who sprints to run a 5K, right? So you're asking people to do different skills, it's probably even more different. It's probably more like, oh, you're a chef, but can you farm, right? Like it's yeah. related, yeah. but not exactly the same. And so, you know, it's 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 just different muscles that you have to exercise. Yeah. Have you ever done like an Adventures League or public DMing before? Yeah, With, I have. It's um. So this is actually my first year and a half doing it because my my experience with dming before that was just all private with friends and at homes and all that stuff so for the first for this year and a half that i've been doing it it's been oh boy i mean i have some really great players that i've that have stuck with me for a year and a half like awesome people and all that stuff but i've had some players where you, you know, you, you hear those stories that people talk about, like the horror stories of players, and you're just like, oh my god, they're actually real. You know, yep. you, you didn't think those people actually exist until they come join your game, and you're like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. That's, yeah. uh, that's a thing. I mean... Yeah, it, it, especially, it, it's a joke now at my LGS that whenever someone joins my table and they play a rogue, we know they're not going to last long because they're always going to do something stupid and try to steal from the party or get killed, and it's like... And, I, and I've told every single rogue, like, please play as a team member. You know, if you're going to steal from the party, there's going to be consequences. Right. Like, just right. think about it. Oh, but this is what my character would do. It's like, oh, my God. Nope. <laughs> also, that's a line that's that's a line that doesn't work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially in a public a public setting um, like Adventures League. You cannot have that attitude. Oh, no. oh, it's what my character would do. Well, shouldn't have brought that character then. Yeah. Um, because this is Adventurer's League. This isn't Rogue's Gallery, right? That the, the proper place for that character, the proper place for the chaotic neutral rogue or any alignment of evil character is at home with friends that you've role-played with before. You should bring your lawful good paladin. You should bring your t- true neutral druid. And that's about like the extent of it, right? Like you should bring good characters, maybe a neutral person uh, to a public setting with people you don't know. Um, And, and the social contract is uh, not dissimilar from stream shows, right? Uh, We had a difficult time with our chaotic neutral uh, bard uh, whispers bard for a little bit on the show. There was real distrust between the characters, but it ended up being a valuable, um, role play tool that we grew from. It was an excellent look back on, oh, look how we used to distrust each other kind yeah. of uh, 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 moral and evolution. And if you have something like that, great. Um, that's not the venue 
right? The, the Adventurous League is not the venue to exercise that particular muscle in your Dungeons & Dragons repertoire. I do agree. Have you ever had to um, kick someone off your table before? I have never had to do that, personally. Uh, I had to do it uh, just a couple months ago. I had to kick someone out because they were... So, you know, pe- people listening... People are, if you've played Magic the Gathering, you're very familiar with rules lawyers. And there's also many rules lawyers in D&D because they want to get the upper hand for themselves. Absolutely. This one player was just a constant rules lawyers, wanted to argue about everything and wanted whenever they got a low roll, they'd get mad and angry and just had to tell them, nope, just can't do it anymore. Can't do it. And just and they would pick fights with other people players at the table with their characters and then it's just and then it creates animosity and like i said when i first started doing this i had i really didn't think these kind of people existed but yeah they're they're out there yeah yep they sure do (laughs) but um no i was just curious if you ever had to do that before have you ever had to come close or anything or um i don't think i've ever come close i mean all of i have I've had any of my any long campaign you have, you're going to have tough conversations with the players about the characters um, because you're presenting them with difficult challenges in character, um, which a lot of the time reflect facets of your personality or their personality or something in in civilization or culture or or whatever. Um, So I've had long, difficult conversations about things that have happened in game or things that have happened about the game, Um, you know. I don't think it's ever grown to the point where anyone threatened to leave the show. I don't think it's uh, gone to the point where anyone's threatened to ever leave one of my games. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never gotten to the point where I've threatened to kick anybody off of the show or kick anybody out of my games. Um, I guess I've been lucky in that way. Uh, but um, yeah, I guess I guess it also comes with going with the flow. If my player decides that they're going to min-max everything and rules lawyer everything, cool we're on hard mode hard mode now right like (laughs) i we're not there's there's no there's no safety mechanic anymore you want to you want to play rough let's play rough here's a challenge rating eight monster instead of a challenge rating seven here's here's you know seven of these bad guys instead of five right and they all focus on you for a specific reason right if you're a chaotic neutral rogue and you're stealing stuff guess what it's seven town guards, and they don't care about the paladin. They care about you because you steal things. So, you know, there are ways to do it within the context of a game that are still uh, that don't that aren't anachronistic. That that maintain the flavor and values of the world that you, the dungeon master, have set up. But you're the dungeon master. You control everything that is outside of what the players can control, and so, you know. If, if it gets to that point, you can sort of flex your Dungeon Master muscles. I've never had to do that. Um, and uh, and when you have to do that, that isn't fun for anybody involved. I, 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 not, I, I get yeah. that. And so sometimes the best option is to, to ask them politely to leave. Yeah. So for anybody out there that is wanting to try their hand at DMing or GMing, what are, hmm. what's some advice you would have for them, like for a first-time DM? First time DM, good. Here, here's your suggestions. Uh, find a module you like. Find the module you want to run. Um, you know, you find your one shot. You're gonna the one shot says it'll take three to five hours, right? You find your one shot. Read the one shot. 
every day for like a week, right? Like read it, like to the point where you are seeing it in your head. And then the day before the one shot, don't look at it. Just forget it, forget the whole thing until it's just the gist of what the one shot is and what what the the zeitgeist of the one shot means to you in your head. And then the next day when your players show up and they're like, all right, we're here, what's the story? Then you can just sort of rattle off, right? Like I've run Krenko's Way enough times at this point, I can mostly do Krenko's Way from memory with the parts I like, not necessarily what's written exactly in the book, yeah. Like, I don't know the exact DC to pick the lock of the weapons dealer, but I can make something up. I don't know exactly what the trap was that's in the warehouse that the goblins have, but I can make something up, right? So once you get to the point that you're comfortable enough with that, do it again. Do it for a different one shot. Then do it again. And eventually you're going to have this um, – uh, uh, um, rote repetition in your head that you're not going to need to read it quite so many times. You're not going to need to practice quite so much. You're going to have been on a bike enough times that you're just going to be able to hop on your bike and go. And that's kind of where it's fun, finally, right? Yeah. Where you're just like, oh, I've never seen this one shot before. Cool. First scene says you're in a pit. Let's do it then, right? And then you go. Um, but for a first-timer, you can feel overwhelmed. For a first-time DM, you're going to feel overwhelmed. I am still nervous before a show starts. I am still, you know, a heart up in my throat. Like, I hope I put on a good show today. I hope this is a good game today. I hope my players like me today, after today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that never goes away. And it shouldn't because it means you care, right? Once you stop caring, that's, a, that's an issue. And the audience will be able to tell or your players will be able to tell or whoever. Um, It's it's just good. You know, you you get it's just like anything. You get better with practice as a first time DM. You just have to like the biggest thing is relax. I understand that it's stressful and I know that this is stereotypical nonsense, but just relax because that's it's literally the most important thing is to make sure you still have fun because the dungeon master is still a player i'm still playing right so i need to have 50 characters right i'm just (laughs) playing a slightly different game right so uh just make sure that you're having fun and if you're having fun your friends are going to have fun and if your friends are having fun you're having fun so what would you say what what some advice would you give to um a new DM who also may not know any of the rules or anything mm. or may not be That's that tougher. familiar with the rules. Like what, what, sure. what do you recommend for that? Um, uh, I mean the first, if you're going to run dungeons and dragons, you got to familiarize, familiarize yourself with the rules. Um, there are simpler games. There are games with less stringent and less demanding rule sets. If you want to run games that aren't dungeon, that, that aren't, super time intensive to learn uh, Dungeons and Dragons is a complicated game by comparison um, I might suggest something you know some, some other game something along the lines of Demon Hunters if you are trying to find a game that isn't going to require you to know as many rules um, if, if it's your first time DMing know what armor class means know what 
spell attack bonus and attack bonus means, um, know what a saving throw is, mm-hmm. right? And the rest of it's dice. It's a lot of math. Um, so, you know, if you don't mind taking some time to look up what happens when different things happen, um, you know, oh, you cast a spell, let's go look up what the spell does and we'll figure it out, right? But it, it, that will take a little while, but yeah. it'll, still, it'll still end up being in the right place. A lot of the stuff that I do is shortcuts because I just know what this means. Mm-hmm. As a new player you, or a new DM, you might not. And uh, so you just go from there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, reading the player's handbook, you know, and reading it, there's still, I've read that player's handbook, you know, I'm sure you have many, many times. And there's still yep. times I go in there because there's that weird little rule set that it comes up in a game and you're like, okay, I may not yeah. know it right now, but after the game, you're like, okay, how does this actually work? You right. Know? Um, I mean, I, I run into that all the time. I had a question this week from one of my players that I was like, let me go look in the player's handbook. I don't know how that works, actually. Um, because they were leveling up and they're a multi-class character and were wondering if they could swap out a spell slot from one of their classes and change it to a different class. And I was like, I don't know how that's treated. Let me go look it up in the rule book and let me go look up what Jeremy Crawford said on yeah, online. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, let's, let's go see what Sage Advice says. Um, and so, you know, you're never going to know everything. That's not the moral of what I'm trying to say. It's it's to be as prepared as you possibly can yeah. for when you don't know something. And you will. Every game, something will happen. Oh, yeah. Um, that you're just like, hmm, well, I didn't expect them to do that. I think that the that, that would have about this many hit points. Um, sure, go ahead and hit it, I guess, right? Yeah. Like that's the that's what you just got to roll with it and it becomes second nature. It becomes uh instinct at some point. Yeah, just like um a couple weeks ago I'm playing in a game and I didn't realize the actual rules of long rest state in the mm-hmm. book that it's it requires 6 hours of sleep and 2 hours of light activity, meaning like being hmm. on watch or reading a book or something like that. Really? And I thought I didn't it, know that. I thought it was always just 8 hours of sleep and that's it. That's what it always needed, right. but nope, according to the and that was something new I learned, right? And I've been playing this, cool. you know, forever now. Um Fantastic. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah, and there and there's and speaking to other newer DMs out there, there's still and I'm sure you agree, Ruben, there's going to be spells you forget like like I said, like, oh, yeah, how does fireball work again? Or what's the range exactly. of fireball? How, or, right, what's the range of fireball? Yeah. How many dice do you roll for tidal yeah. wave? Like, you're yeah. going to screw that up. what does this exact up? item do again? And, you know, there's yeah. always going to be stuff like that. So there, people, I mean, obviously, there's going to be people who memorize all that stuff. But as a DM, I feel that's, like you said, it's not always necessary to memorize it all. I mean, you can the most you important want, rule. Yeah. Yeah, the most important rule is the rule of cool. Does yeah. it sound cool? Is it going to help you tell the story better? Great. Then, sure, roll some dice so it makes you feel better. Otherwise, you can just be like, I'm the dungeon master. That works because it sounds great. Right? Yeah, exactly. I've done that before. My One of my players has a robe of useful items and tore a patch off of it and made a 10 foot by 10 foot steel door <laughs> and used it as a surfboard That's awesome. to surf down a rock slide. And I was like, that works. Like, just that's just going to happen because that's yeah. great. Um, 
you know, like, what am I going to do? Roll for making sure the board doesn't crash into a rock? Like, come on. So, you know, as long as it, you're te- the, the whole thing of role playing games in general, the rules are there to help you tell the story. It's not a rule set that is a Bible. It's yeah. there to help you have fun. And so whatever the most fun is, do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, what would you also give some advice or what would you say to a new DM that is also maybe not that great at improv? As I'm sure you know, being mm. a DM requires a lot of improv. Sure. Where yep. there's so, going to be some situation that pops up where you're like, or, or of course, the, the great thing is you have something planned out and then your character or your players are do something completely different that you never thought of. And you're like, I, what do I do? You know? Yeah. And, and that will happen. will happen. Uh, that will happen. Your players will always happen. surprise you a hundred percent. It'll happen. You can, you can try to, uh, uh, schedule for every eventuality, but they will surprise you in the moment. Um, stay flexible, let them do what they want to do. Um, but figure out how to help them do it in a realistic way. Um, also award your, remember inspiration yep. that you can give points to your players for, uh, good role play and interesting ideas and, uh, fun interactions with themselves. It's a rule that as a streamed DM, I don't necessarily need or use because my players are role players primarily. And so I would be giving out inspiration five times an episode if I were using that rule, but it is, it is on the, it's on your character sheet directly under your name for a Mm -hmm. reason. It's very important and be judicious with it because, uh, not judicious, be uh, generous with it because the other thing is as a dungeon master, advantage and disadvantage are your friends. Um, They help you tell the story um, when you can tilt things in your advantage or disadvantage uh, to make sure that the story that you think is going to unfold can possibly unfold or create a good story. Ew. (laughs) No, it's okay, it's okay. Um, Uh. then, Then another thing I would recommend is uh, as a new DM, you don't need to start out by making a bunch of voices, right? Don't feel pressured to be a voiceover yeah, actor. That's so don't, true. That's very, Don't very feel true. pressured. Um, another way that you can do that, this is how my dad used to DM, was instead of making a bunch of voices, he would have like a box of hats. That's and depending idea. on yeah. what NPC you are, you have different hats that you put on. Like, oh, you're the shopkeep, you've got a little raccoon skin cap. Oh, you're the hunter, you put on a little, you know, Robin Hood hat. Um, or like some other costume item. Uh, there's that's, another that's DM, cool there's another There's another GM uh, at Saving Throw named uh, Jordan Caves Callerman who runs the Wild Cards show. And mm-hmm. he's also great with voices, but all of his NPCs have like a mustache on a stick or some glasses that he puts on, or a wig, or whatever. And it's just another fun way to change things up. No, I like that, that's really cool. Um, and I would also say, don't be afraid to go online and use NPC generators too. And just absolutely go, go off that, because it, it, you understand how hard it is to come up with names for all these NPCs, and yep. also little backstories, because then your players, you'll create some 
dumb little NPC that has no bearing to the story, but then they want to talk to them more. They'll latch on to it. (laughs) God. Every, that's another thing. You should have a, uh, either on your laptop and like have a random NPC name generator up or just have a short list of names that you can pull out. Same with uh, uh, businesses. You should have like random businesses that are that you have a sheet of. I have a sheet in my binder of shops in Ravnica. I just went through every Ravnica set and chose a card name that kind of sounds like a store. Oh, that's cool. Basically, yeah, is what that's I did. A good idea. So yeah. like, uh, you know, Velma's club. She named herself. But named it the Generous Stray, for example. Um, you know, there's the the uh, the coffee shop is called the Mind Grind. Um, there's <laughs> a awesome. you know there's a there's a billion of those, and yeah. you can do the same thing. It doesn't have to be magic cards. It can be whatever you pick up online. Um, and every NPC you have, you should have uh, like three little descriptor words about their attitude or about yeah. their history. Um, young, eccentric. Um, outgoing or um, um, arachnophobic, weird, old, right? Like just have three words and it doesn't matter what the words are, um, but have those lined up in your mind for, you know, the next couple NPCs that your folks come across. Yeah, for sure. That's some good advice. I I definitely like the hat idea though. That's a that's a fun yeah. one. That's little, a little cost. It doesn't even yeah. have to be stuff that you go to the thrift store for. It's just stuff you yeah. own. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, what about, so I don't recall this like maybe years ago, and I don't know if this is something new. I've never really looked up the history of it, but the importance of session zero. Um, th- th- this yeah. was something I never really had growing up or anything. It was just we'd come together and just play, right, and just with friends. But as, yep. I, as I've gotten older and especially playing in public, I understand something like a session zero is a lot more important because it's sort of like, as we mentioned before, the social contract we put together mm-hmm. with DM and players stating, okay, what kind of game do we want to play? Um, right. How important is session zero nowadays? hugely important um it's even more important for a stream show but before we get to that session zero for even just a home game um allows you well there's a difference between session zero and having one-on-ones with your new players right Mm -hmm. so if you want you can have you know your new players play a session zero for like an hour as their new character and then they come into the game with backstory. They come into the game with knowledge of how they play their character or an NPC that they've met already so that when you introduce it later in the campaign, they've met them already. For a stream show, it lets you know the table dynamic. It lets you know who does what and what they sound like, and it gives you some personal history outside of what everybody sees on camera already as well. We did a really interesting thing with the Broken Pact where essentially what we did was we recorded our session zero, but we aired it as episode eight as a flashback. Um, And so the first episode that aired online, the players had already played a three hour game with me before, Mm -hmm. um, which I had a ton of fun with and gave people a bunch of context later in the season as they were like, oh, that's what that was four episodes ago. That's what that was six yeah. episodes ago. Um, and still dropping hints from that session zero uh, uh, into the game now. And so um, I think that that is, it's very important out of from an out of game perspective of establishing what your party wants to do, right? If your party doesn't like puzzles, 
and they say so in the session zero, then don't put puzzles in your game, right? If they just want to murder hobo people, then just let them murder hobo people. If if they want to be more diplomatic and they want to be more role-playing, great, then that's what the game is going to be. But knowing what it is before you get into the process of the game is going to make everything easier as you go forward. Oh, I like that. I like that. It's, that was something that I've always brought up to a lot of my players in Session Zero because I personally like a 50-50 of role-playing and combat encounters. Mm. Um, and, you know, I definitely have a lot of fun doing combat encounters, but some of my favorite sessions have been pure role-playing of where, you know, w- one of my favorite sessions I did last year or earlier this year was my players breaking out of a jail cell. And it took them mm. almost three hours to break out of jail and it was probably sure. some of the most fun I barely did anything just like you said like I barely did anything that session I just let them describe what they want to do and be like okay roll for it okay boom they do it okay roll for it again for what XYZ and all that stuff and I'm just sitting back and just having an awesome time with it that, yeah, that that's to me awesome. is one of the best times with DMing that's the dream yeah. is to be, the best part of DMing is getting to the point where you don't have to do anything yeah, and you let, especially when if they're really good at role playing, and you can just see them. You're, just, you're. I feel like I'm an audience member sometimes, where you know you're just watching them interact with each other and just figure it out and whatever it may be. And like you say, you just sort of pop up every once in a while, like say, okay, well, roll for that to see what happens, you know. And yep, boom. exactly. I love it. I love it. So I, I guess sort of closing out here. Uh, what some other advice you could give out to dms i mean for for just anything and something that we missed or maybe i didn't ask um um note cards hugely important um have extra notes in front of you so that you know so that you don't have to be flipping pages small short um uh, cliff notes in front of you have those writing sessions go outside of your own brain have somebody that you like to bounce your ideas off of that aren't necessarily a part of your campaign that's really helpful another dungeon master perhaps whatever um have extra uh have your have all of your materials handy make sure that you know what your dungeon master setup looks like i don't use a dungeon master screen i just don't i just don't like it it's not a thing i use um no you know oh i know in my head where my book is i know where in my head where my minis are i know in my head where this is this is this is have those planned out um Know where the boundaries are with your players. Have a social contract ahead of time of like, look, are we cool to talk about this type of issue in game, this type of issue in game, this type of issue in game? For us as a streamed game, if there ever arises an issue, we have a yellow card, red card system where I have, again, soccer. I used to be a referee. I have yellow cards and red cards that I set in front of my players. And if it becomes a topic that they are not comfortable with, they toss out a yellow card and I move on from the scene. And if they toss out a red card, that means that we have to stop it right now um, because we're in a place that's not not OK anymore. Yeah. Um, know where those lines are so that you don't derail your campaign because of something that could have been avoided ahead of time. Um, have extra pencils. <laughs> um, I like that one. You got You got to have extra oh, yeah. pencils. Oh yeah. My, 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 my smallest pocket in my bag is just nothing but sharpened pencils. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, beyond all that other stuff, you know, it's a lot of work, but it pays off. So, you know, don't, don't worry about, don't worry about it being good. It'll be good. H- worry about having fun. And if you're having yeah. fun, it'll be good. 
No, I agree with that. No, thank you. Um, well, I just want to thank you again for coming on. Um, it's really awesome second time doing this and getting to talk about D and D. Um, yeah, right. so I know people can find you on the broken pack. When does that air and where, where else can they find it? Is it just on Twitch or is it on YouTube sure. as well? So the broken pact, you can watch Monday nights at 8 PM Pacific, uh, on DN, on twitch.tv slash DND and the YouTube, the official DND YouTube. It is also available as a download on savingthrowshow.com as a podcast. Awesome. Uh, and uh, Saving Throw Show uh, also has a Libsyn and an iTunes. You should look up Saving Throw Show for all of that information. Um, the first two seasons, as well as the two interstitial seasons uh, uh, specials, are all available in um, playlist form on the official YouTube. Um, and uh, I believe episodes are being uploaded pretty quickly afterwards uh, to the YouTube channel as well. Um, the podcasts for season one and two are up on savingthrowshow.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks again, man, for coming on, taking time out of your day to you know chat with me. Um, Absolutely. This was fun. Yeah, man. Thanks again, and have a great night. You too. I'll see ya. Hey, everybody, and thank you for listening and watching this show. And thank you again, Ruben, for coming on. It was much appreciated. That was your second time coming on. He was on an earlier episode on Magic with Zuby, and it was much much appreciated even coming on there. Um, So, yeah, if you want to help support the show, uh, the show does have a Patreon at patreon.com slash magicwithzuby. Feel free to check it out and, you know, maybe subscribe or donate if you wish. And then also this show can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio and Spotify as well as you can reach me at facebook.com slash magicwithzuby on twitter at magicwithzuby on instagram at magic underscore with zuby no at magic underscore with underscore zuby oh i messed it up for the first time in forever uh and then gmail at mtgzuby at gmail.com for any inquiries you want to reach out to me about uh thank you again for uh listening and watching the show and have a great night everybody all right